0: Welcome transformation talk radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. This is my show recovery recharged and I am delighted as always to host with the illustrious Dr. Pat. How you doing girl?
1: Yeah, this is great show. I'm really excited about this. Me too. We're
0: going to get into it
1: today. This is like right up in our face too.
0: Yes, it is. And it is the topic of the day with everything that's going on and certainly in our field of recovery because one of the biggest problems that we faced is being branded an alcoholic or an addict and having people look at us differently, treat us differently and react to us differently. And that is what we're talking about today, among other things, the bias and the stigma of biases specifically related to addiction and also other areas and of course this is definitely the topic of the day so of course i brought in an expert all right in fact she calls herself the bias specialist so i can't wait to talk to her and shout out to our brand new Australian affiliates because this gal hails from Australia, so I am thrilled to welcome her her name is Braun Williams and she is the bias specialist and her mission is to make bias conscious in the workplace. Let me tell you something about this wonderful woman who I have already inducted into the Pushy Broad Hall of Fame with me and Dr. Pat, okay? Because this gal is a trained teacher. She's been teaching for more than 25 years, young kids between the ages of five and 12. She's also worked with children with disabilities. She has an honors degree in theology, and she's had honors papers examining Australia's response to asylum seekers and refugees. And also, she is trained and she has been well-trained at the Salvation Army as an officer. And she has spent 14 months on the Pacific Island of Nehru working with indigenous peoples. Here's the thing about Bron. She says she's determined to make bias conscious in the corporate environment, to build awareness that we are a result of our environment and better served making those biases conscious and developing targeted strategies to drive successful growth and change. She has two books, Powered by Your Past, and I Have Seen the Moon. And her third book, What's Your Water, is coming out in February 2020. I want to talk about that because I have (laughs) no idea what that is. So, I'm definitely going to ask her about that, okay? Please welcome listeners to Bron Williams. How are you today? This morning, good morning. It's 6
2: a.m. Yeah, great to have you. Thank you. It is just lovely to be here. And before I start, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land I live and meet on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to them and their culture and to their elders past, present, and emerging. So Melbourne, that's where I am. That's where the Wurundjeri people, that's their traditional lands. Amazing. And I'm great.
0: And and you are. So so we're going to talk about your past a little bit. So just tell us a little bit about those 14 months and some of the enlightened realizations you came to, and then we can go into bias. Your story is fascinating, so share it,
2: please. Thank you. Yes, um, it's one of those serendipitous uh, events that happen in life. I was a Salvation Army officer and the Australian Federal Government had reopened their offshore processing centres for asylum seekers on Nauru and also on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea. And an email went round saying, who would come for four weeks? And I put my hand up, not because I had a burning desire to work with refugees or to work in the tropics, but because I couldn't think of any reason why not to. So a serendipitous decision. And so I landed there. It's a tiny island. You can drive around it in half an hour, 35 kilometers south of the equator. And it was on that very first day as we uh, walked, we had all this orientation. We'd been up since a midnight flight tired. We walked down into the camp. I see all these dark-skinned men just sitting around. They were quite placid, you know, they suffered trauma and my body started to react. Shoulders got tensed, stomach churning. I'm in my mid-50s, fairly experienced with life and I'm thinking what the heck is going on here? Mm. Took me a few days to realise that this was actually the first time I'd experienced my body telling me that I was afraid. I'd never been in that sort of situation before. And then, then I started thinking, well, what on earth am I afraid? You know, there's security guards around. These men are not going to rise up and do anything to me. And I thought back over my life and my upbringing and realised having grown up in a largely white monocultural area of Sydney, Australia, conservative Bible Belt I had somewhere along the line um, learned the difference was a threat. And so here I was, a white-skinned person with all these brown and dark-skinned men. I spoke English. There was all these languages around me I didn't understand. I was a Christian, and I knew most of the men came from Muslim countries. So it was that, that realisation that the person who would have said she didn't have a racist bone in her body actually had this latent racism just sitting underneath the surface and then some months later i'd returned um, in a full-time capacity as the religious liaison officer so now it was my job to look after the religious needs of all the asylum seekers so that meant sourcing materials for them you know whether they were christian muslim buddhist hindu because it was recognized that having their religious needs met went a long way to aiding their mental health And I started to observe something else, but this time it was in relation to the Nauruans who were on the various teams. And I'd seen it in the white expats, including myself, this sense of superiority was like, hello, you know, developed country, university educated, of course we know better. We've got all the answers. And I sat down with Fatima, who headed up the team, um, the Nauruan team for the Salvation Army, told her what I'd been observing. And her response completely floored me. She said, oh, we know that about you guys. We just accept it. And I uh, was like so a body So what blower. you're saying
0: here, and, and we see this all the time, and I'm sure, Dr. Pat, you might have experienced this as well. Don't you think? Have you experienced this in some form?
1: I just spent an, an hour talking to Dr. Lisa about, you know, uh, about racial trauma and about trauma in general. And um, but, Bron, what you're saying is, for the first time, you had not experienced this before, where you can literally feel this in your body. Yes. You can feel it in your cells. It gets into your tissues. Yes. Yes.
2: yes. yes. And I yes, was. I had everything. to address these things in myself. So not only did
0: you feel it physically, but you, you felt the physical fear. Right. So it became yes. a tangible fear on top of which you realized that this is almost ingrained in us and, and it's developed yes. across the board, regardless of situation. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned a religious bias. You mentioned a race bias. You mentioned an educational bias. You mentioned various things Absolutely. that we all, almost always gravitate to simply because that person sitting across from us is different from us. So when that person doesn't resemble us and doesn't mirror us, our first reaction is to be afraid. And Mm -hmm. that
1: is, is.
0: that's distressing, right? When people Uh, aren't like us.
1: Yeah. And I think what happens though, is that's compounded by not just that they're different and they're not like us, but the belief systems we created. I grew up in the projects in the Bronx and I got to tell you, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me then. It didn't bother me in high school. And then my stepmom was really smart. She moved us to Plainfield, New Jersey. She could have moved us anywhere, but she moved us to Plainfield. And if you all want to look up Plainfield, go ahead and Google it. So myself and my sisters, and you know, for the most part, we didn't have the fear of people with, you know, people of color. We didn't have the fear of people that were a different religion, right? We, we didn't have those kinds of things as a matter of fact if you go up in new york right ellen no oh my god yeah, yeah. i mean
0: when a, i moved to seattle pot, right?
1: my friends were scared to walk down the street with me because i would stop and i would talk to the homeless person and they're like what are you doing you see but then there are the fears we get and the stories we tell ourselves and yes. whatever somebody else says to us. And hence, that is what we call stigmatization, right? That's
0: exactly right.
1: So let's Absolutely. go back to
0: some of the basics, okay? Give us bias mm-hmm. basics for
1: those of us. Um,
0: you've, we've got a great bunch of questions here. I want you to define for me what bias is and how you, you know how you deal with it. What kind of yeah. form it takes?
2: Yeah. Um, bias simply is part of how we think as human beings so it's a human issue and that's one of my goals is just normalize the conversation about this let's get rid of any judgment and guilt bias is just part of being a human being it's the tendency to privilege one set of people or a group of ideas to the exclusion of others it's as simple as that we say this is right this is wrong it forms unconsciously in our childhood during growing up years lots of input from things like our family our culture if we're part of a faith group the media all sorts of external sources you know the sports club we belong to the friendship group we're in at school it shapes bias, then shapes how we see ourselves how we see other people how we see the world it informs the decisions that we make the relationships we have it informs how we treat others who we innately show respect for, and who we unconsciously dismiss. So,
0: why is it important, do you think, not to ignore it?
2: Because it actually, it can two main areas. It impacts our decision making, and it impacts our relationships with other people. Just like you know that bodily reaction I had with these men who were different to me. Now, if I had allowed. That to continue to manifest itself and I acted out of that, I would have been completely ineffective in that situation and probably would have been sent home because I would have been useless. So allowing our biases to operate um, is unhelpful. Like most of the time, well, that's why it's you know it's called unconscious bias, we're not aware of them. But as we allow life to um bring bias to the surface then we get the choice do i continue to allow this bias to work in my life or am i going to make an intentional choice about what i do with it Um, roger j davies who's um, a linguist has made a wonderful statement he said that bias operates in a parallel world to our rational and logical thought processes and i love that that idea of a parallel world yeah so that we've got our biases that are operating here quite effectively and we've got our logical thoughts so my logical thought said i didn't have a racist phone in my body my biases (laughs) were saying well hello no you actually do
0: of course of course and that's because we are uncomfortable with things that are dissimilar you know that cross me yes. stills nash song you've got to be taught right and you've got to be taught to hate and fear and all of those things there are some things that become intrinsic for instance i had lectured at the rutgers college of nursing several years ago and talked about um addiction and the stigma of addiction and i asked everyone in that classroom and these were nurses these were pre-med there were some pre-med and some you know nursing students and i asked them to to picture an active addict in their head okay close your eyes and picture an active addict or an alcoholic every single one of them said what do you think tactopat what do you think they said
1: I don't know what they th- what they said but I know when I was asked that question all I could think about was my uncle at Thanksgiving okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hear you. I hear you. And everybody else thought about a bum in the street with a needle in his arm. That's right. In a den of junkies and all of those things, or somebody just staggering on the street living in a cardboard box. And, you know, in in most of my life, I lived in the Bronx, and then I lived in Manhattan and other boroughs. So in Manhattan, it wasn't uncommon to see cardboard boxes with people living in them, okay, and still today. So so this is the picture that people get, and and we're responsible for this, when in fact – that is only a very small portion yes. of the addiction in this world and 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 stuff people like dr pat and myself that have years and years and years in sobriety didn't come out of a cardboard box okay so so it's a whole different thing so tell Absolutely. us specifically, tell us specifically what is a bias specialist what is that what do you do
2: okay i work with organisations, government departments, peak sporting bodies to help build awareness of bias because we cannot change what we cannot see. And I think um, particularly during COVID, because crisis does a whole lot of things for us, doesn't it? It strips away so much of the service things, you know, the pleasantries, all the nice civilised things. And certainly during the last 20 months, we have seen uh, both in Australia and across the globe you know the, the rise of the black lives matter movement here in Australia we've had uh women's marches and uh so we've been looking and you know there's but there has been racial uh well I believe racial decisions made around certainly here in Australia, who can come into Australia at the height of of the pandemic, Um, decisions made around certain racial groups that weren't made for other racial groups. So it's um, what I do is help people see that what we're seeing on the surface of the water, because I liken bias to an, an iceberg. So we see things like racism, ageism, sexism, discrimination because of ability, Um, you know, all the other things that we see on the surface, but that's only the 10% underneath sit the bias, that tendency to privilege one group over another that then allows us to categorise people. As you said around alcoholics, we categorise them as the bum on the street living in the cardboard box and You know, we categorise people because of their skin colour, their accent, their age, their weight, a whole lot of other things. And so what I help people do is match what they see to the underlying issue of bias, because unless we actually work with that, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a virus. It's just not going to solve the issues. Not that I believe bias can be eliminated, but we can make it clearer we can understand how it impacts us because once we understand that we get the choice what do I do with the results of my biases
0: that's really amazing it really it really gets to the heart of things and you say you lecture at different companies and 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 do that kind of work so it's identify and understand correct
2: yes absolutely absolutely absolutely
0: So how does one become a bias specialist? Do you do a training or something? If I wanted to go into that field, how do I do that?
2: Well, it's very interesting that you asked that question because in 2022, I'm looking to certify my programs because I want to be able to have other people working with me um, on this because I see, you know, I've got limited time left I'm in the last third of my life so you know you get to this point in life and you go the end is closer than the beginning was and I want to make the most of this time but I don't want my work to finish with me so yes so you can be you can become certified um, as a bias specialist from 2022 and that will be going through my my training programs the key though is to understand that this is not an academic exercise this is about understanding your own biases. And the first part of that training that I do with people is to take them through a series of 10 uh, areas of their lives in which bias may well be operating yeah. because I want anybody who works with me to be able to have their own stories. They yeah. can't use my stories. They need to have their own.
1: Yeah. The mind will tell us everything's okay. We're cool. The mind will tell yeah. us what, me, who, like, <laughs> yeah. What? Me? No. Um, But this is something, right, that, you know, there was a movement, wow, a lot of years ago in corporate America. And we called it sensitivity training. It was hard. It was hard. It worked. Right. They stopped it.
0: that's right they did they stopped it because it was way too volatile and i don't think they had enough professionals actually knowing what they were doing and from that whole point of view it seemed to be a biased point of view it was it was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and you know i'm i'm watching um some old tv shows that are talking about conversion training from um back in the 50s when they when there were um uh gay individuals who are trying to be converted back to heterosexuality yeah. and 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 doctors and all of these things and the and the mm. um and the strange kinds of things they would use to do that under the auspice of this is medically proven and this is correct and mm. and and all of these things and it's just it's horrible it's constantly constantly a horrible thing i mean it's just not good yes. And the same is true with us in our industry. People make so many assumptions about recovering addicts and alcoholics. Right, Dr. Pat? Don't they think all kinds of terrible things?
1: First of all, it's they personalize it. I don't know why this happens. But if somebody has cancer, right, you talk about the cancer. You don't talk about Mary Jo. But if somebody has the disease of alcoholism or drug addiction, you talk about the person yeah yeah um as though it's a moral failing
0: yeah yeah yes and although it's also contagious you can get it from somebody right i mean don't stand too close to them because you'll get it whatever it is okay if it's negative it'll rub off if it's a mental illness if you hang out with them too much you'll become as mentally ill I see this all the time in the people that I work with and the clients that I handle, they turn around and say, please fix this situation. Because if we fix it, then it will no longer exist. And that's, that's, you know, that's what people think about bias. As long as you, as long as you're aware of it, you have fixed it, but it's deeper than that. Isn't it, Bron?
2: It's an ongoing process. And I, this is one of the things I bring out in my training too, is that when you have, like I have, I know about my white privilege and I know about my latent racism. And I also know um, that I have an academic bias. I knew that a long time ago, even when you know these things. The biases will continue to raise their head and say, Yeah, but let's go this way. And it's that point where you go, Okay, I've seen, all right, I've acted out of my bias again. Be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. This has been part of the way you've thought for all of your life, but then just determined to again to go on the new path because it's about it's like practicing on a bike, you know. You didn't get on the bike when you were, you know, five or six years old, fell off, skinned your knees and said, well, bike riding doesn't work. Uh, You know, you got back on again. And that's exactly the same it is with whether you're doing bias training or you're working with your own biases. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off and on you go again. Yeah.
0: Back again. Yes. Well, that's... (laughs) It's really important. When We're going to go to a break because I, we want to talk a little bit a little bit more about addiction and recovery and the, the biases that happen in our industry and what we're doing to help to turn that around. And I also want to talk to you more about what Bron is doing and how you can get to her and how you can work with her if you want to because she works all over the globe and she works virtually. So any company can participate and any human being that is interested and has questions, Bron, where can they contact? To you
2: uh info at bronwilliams.com that's the simplest way that's fantastic or stalk me on linkedin i'm there too
0: <laughs> stalk, stalk you on linkedin okay terrific <laughs> Great. Well, again, this is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. You can reach me at com. I am doing free stress, stress, stress-free sessions, 30 minutes, or you can call me at 800-889-1757. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, certified life and recovery coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, PushyBroadFromTheBronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy broad From The Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of The Dr. Pat Show. Is your life stressful and unfulfilling? Would you like to make changes, but just don't know how? I want to recommend The Necktie and the Jaguar, a fabulous book by Carl Greer. This is a memoir. It has questions that help us understand what our story's about, how to change it, and how to live a life that is so aligned with who we are for more information to purchase the book go to transformationtalkradio.com or go to carlgreer.com we figured by the time we turned 50 we kind of had life figured out but we were not prepared for the realities of midlife tune in to, and that's when i realized the truth and comedy of midlife with me susan dolce And me, Leon Dyer, every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You're not alone in these challenges, and sometimes you just got to laugh. Find us at SusanDolce.com and LeonDyer.com.
2: Want to ignite your best life full of joy, passion, and purpose? Then join me, Stephanie James, for The Spark, Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock Pacific Time, 9 o'clock Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com and learn how together we can illuminate the world. Learn more on StephanieJames.world. The best is yet to come.
0: Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack, and I'm excited to tell you about the latest technology. It is new to this country, and it's just amazing out of germany the healy is state-of-the-art technology for improving and changing the body vibration i have more information about the healy on my website
1: maryjanemack.com or you can call the office at 888-777-4232 welcome back everybody bias b-i-a-s and the stigma of addiction now I'm, I want to say this, before we get rolling, I want to make sure everybody knows how to find out more about Bron Williams. Bron, how do we do that?
2: Go to my website, bronwilliams.com, or you email me at info at yeah. Simple as that.
1: Yeah. And I just want to say, when you get to the website, everybody, what you're going to find is a bunch of things. I just want you to take a look. First of all, what you're going to find is the bias specialist, conscious and unconscious. And we're going to talk about this today, like the difference between conscious and unconscious, because there is a difference, but it's still bias. I don't care. You know, bias is bias, but there are two things. And now, how does it happen? Well, if you're brawn, what's going on is you're working in corporations. You're helping people understand what this is. I mean, how about an unconscious bias that doesn't give a woman a raise because she may be single? And she doesn't have a family. And you don't even think about that until somebody calls you on it. How about somebody of color? How about somebody that doesn't speak English? What are the biases around that? Or wait a minute, wait. Like what happens when you're in a recovery group and you're part of three people working for a sponsor and one of the folks in your group is Muslim? And you have to stop because you're Muslim friend has to pray what about all of those things i'm glad she's who she is that's all i want (laughs) to
0: say if you want to answer all all those things now that would be great okay if you want to address them all but you know let's talk a little bit about what can you consciously do right so like anything else i'm sure the first step is awareness so so let's talk about
2: that yeah Yeah, look, I actually realised, looking back on how I processed things for myself uh, when I was on Nauru and then after I left Nauru, I realised I'd done four things. The first one, I'd actually noticed the triggers. So I'd noticed that my body was telling me something that I hadn't heard before. And so that is always the first step. So if you're getting a physical reaction to a situation or an emotional, like you might be getting frustrated with a person angry even or you're getting upset by the things that they're saying that's a trigger and it's important not to just go well it doesn't matter you know or it always happens like that particularly if you know it always happens like that in that situation that's a great trigger so notice the triggers the second thing then is to take that step back ask the questions of yourself why am I doing this you know, for me in that situation, I'm thinking, I've never felt this before. What is going on? Ask the questions. Questions are a key component of working with our biases. Because our biases are unconscious, we've actually got to use questions to bring them to the surface. And then ask. after you've asked some questions, what will happen is you will start to see some narratives, some stories coming out of your own past, your own experience around, uh, well, say for me, around race. I had, um, I think there were, the, the closest we had to having anybody who was different to us was having one Chinese family in our church. You know, I, I realised how monocultural my background had been. So then to be thrust into a situation where there's so many people of so many different nationalities... It was about those stories and, and I thought about the stories around difference that my parents had unconsciously and I don't think intentionally in a bad way taught us but this whole idea that difference was a threat. And then it's then you're actually able to put a, give a name to your bias. But by the time you've done that, you actually realise this bias is very much part of who I am and I think you're you're able then to own that bias Like, I don't like having to say that I'm racist because that's not how I see myself, but that's the truth. And it's easier to own that when you've done this little process because you go, okay, I can see why I'm like that because it's not the means you're a bad person or that you're intentionally going this route. It is part of how you've been raised and you haven't actually thought about what that has meant for your life
0: so you assess your background you assess your upbringing you come to grips with it you become aware of what's going on and realizing that you are formulating ideas and concepts based on things that have to do with you and not the people that you're looking at oh that is
2: excellent i'm gonna (laughs) hang on to that i like that
0: you know dr Pat, every time i walk into a 12-step meeting Okay, I walk into a 12-step meeting, especially in early recovery. I sat down in the 12-step meeting in early recovery and I turned around to all of these people and I said to myself, I am not like any of these people. (laughs) (laughs) These people are not like me. Right? Right? Yeah, boy. I am college educated. I am who I am. I am a, you know, I am this, I am that, I am eloquent, I am this, I am smart, I am this. Whoever else is in this room, yeah. I know better than they do. I am different from they are, and I'm not going to be them, okay? Yeah, you know,
1: it's interesting you're bringing that up, Ellen, because I heard the other day somebody say – you know, I've been coming in the rooms a long time, and I've yet to hear my story. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, what? Like, like what story? Like, what? The narcotic and alcoholic alien right. came down right. and did it to you. That would be a story that you that haven't would, heard that's before. Right. If they came from back from one
0: of Jeff Bezos' trips and did something to you. Right, exactly. I mean, give me a break, right? We all did the same thing. But it's the point of we want to alienate ourselves, and it's also a point in recovery because recovery teaches us some very basic things that help us get through the bias. And one of those things, working in 12 Steps, is to be open and willing mm-hmm. Bias means closed. That's what bias means. But open Mm. and willing means that I'm not going to see things from my point of view. I'm gonna understand that there are other points of view and be happy with it. Mm. But most of the time, especially the clients that I work with that become more open and willing, they really seem to get it and go further, Mm. right? The ones that stay closed and say, this is the only way it is. And this is my perception of Mm. things. They will constantly be Mm -hmm. in that web of Mm -hmm. darkness and and hatred.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Bron, I want to ask you about this because let's just talk, let's just get real for a minute. Mm -hmm. There is a realization in any 12-step program or anything that you enter in life that has to do with addiction. And one of the things that happens is if you just look at it across the board and say, everybody's an addict, what are we missing? So here's what we're missing try to sponsor somebody a woman from india the cult, if we don't understand the multi-dimensional multicultural multi-gender homophobic aspect of what people are trying to do and some of the underpinnings we're not so there's okay so there's and there's you're an addict and by the way I include food so if you talk to me right oh, now, I'm absolutely. saying like, okay, right, we're going to talk about food right there. Okay. We, and I'm not going to pick up my coffee <laughs> during the show, but we're going to t- say, this is it, right? You cannot sit and watch, you know, your episode of euphoria without eating an entire box of candy. So yeah. something's up with that, but let's break it down because what we have is a multi-layered effect when it comes to addiction. And I'd like you to address it. There's the stigma. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic, but, and and I don't even use those words. Right. But just for this show, I need to say, right. I, I don't use that. It's a disease. It's not me. It's an illness, but here we go. Now you go into these rooms, but you're East Indian, or wait a minute, my buddy Muslim, right. Or how about over here? You're of the Jewish faith. You see how, we have to break this down when it comes to addiction, because there's the stigma of the addiction. Then, when you t- top onto it, gender identity, racism, and religion—tell me what we have, Bron. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's a simple
2: question. Um, well, see what what I'm hearing is there the, the layers, but the layers of our lives that. Cause us trauma, that cause us to be um, disconnected to ourselves, that cause us to be disconnected with other people. And I loved what you said, uh, Ellen, about bias is actually all about my perceptions. Of other people but it can also be about my perceptions of myself which you um, so eloquently talked about you know I'm not like them you know none of these people are like me uh, but we we get we can allow our own biases around what I should could can do or but how I should be behaving and there be coming back to what you said, Dr. Pat, about the cultural things, because Muslims have um, a series of behaviours that are normal in their culture. Indian women have a series of behaviours that are culturally normal in in India. I have a Sri Lankan friend. She has behaviours that are culturally normal that... Those of us who are white Aussies actually don't see as normal, but for her they're quite normal and they, cause, they can cause some friction. So it's about understanding that the narratives are so powerful because they shape how we see ourselves and they can often get in the way of us actually dealing with the real deep issues of our lives.
0: Especially in something like the rooms, you're right, Dr. Pat, in the rooms, there are a million different biases. And one of the biggest things, and I want Braun to address it, because she talked to me about it in her notes, there is such a shame that we feel as addicts and alcoholics, no matter what, okay? It's like I carry this big letter A on my forehead for the rest of my life. It's tattooed there no matter what. And I never say I'm an addict or an alcoholic. And those words never come out of my mouth. I always say I'm in recovery because I am loud and proud in recovery. And which is why I went to Dr. Pat almost three years ago and said, I want to do recovery recharge, not yeah. and addicts and that's what and Bill alcoholics W. said recharge. when he walked
1: in. He said, I'm a recovered I'm alcoholic. An, I'm a
0: recovering alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in recovery. But there is so much stuff uh, 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 connected to that that the world has given us because of the stigma. So, so Bron, address bias and shame and that link. Let's Please. talk about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, one of the things, um, as I said, I want to normalize the conversation around bias because we've used the phrase, you're biased, with the finger pointing as a judgment. Oh, you're biased. And whenever we feel judged, we feel, also feel shame. Somewhere along the line, we feel as though we are less than the person who is doing the judging that we then have to become defensive. Yeah. So there is a real sense of shame. And I want to be able to take that away by normalising this and saying We're all, we all have biases. But also, um, and this is part of what I'm looking at exploring in my doctoral work, is... When there is a dependency in the mix as well, and obviously there's dependency when it comes to addiction, but also um, say particularly in on the world stage, and this is one of the areas that I'm interested in, um, is about Australia's um, relationship with China. You know, there have been Chinese in Australia ever since white settlement, and yet white Australians have largely had a a negative outlook on China but but at a world level Australia is dependent on China and China is dependent on Australia from a uh, from a trade thing so we've got this bias from a white Australian perspective towards Chinese people and yet as a nation we have a dependency on their country and so shame just gets magnified in all of that and so that's Really, what I'm wanting to explore is the what I call a cycle of separation, where we just continue because shame separates us from people, bias separates us from people. And really, um, dependency is not actually intimacy, is it? It's about... <laughs> a oh connection with somebody
0: else but Dr. Yeah. Pat
1: that's a show isn't it Dependency yeah, is. is not <laughs> intimacy that's a whole show. Yeah. I mean honestly you have one of the people in Australia and can I mention her please yes. who came out of the gate no degree in counseling and rewrote the book on narcissistic personality disorder. She came out 10 11 years ago and said I need to tell you this because psychologists are not telling you and that's my field and she was right melanie tanya evans came out of the gate and said hello no contact and everybody looked at her like what but guess what she helped people heal because what you talked about is intimacy dash dependency dash Action dash systemic behavior. Put them all together and you got like bias in a lot of ways. And we don't have the tools. That's why what you're doing is so important because we don't even have the yep. tools to tease it apart, do we?
2: No, no. And I think that's, and one of the things that um, is probably a, a frustration of mine is when we only look at bias from an academic perspective, point of view or a cognitive point of view where we go uh, we talk about the horn effect and the halo effect and you know (laughs) affinity bias and confirmation bias all of those things are important but unless we're understanding i have a bias in the area of money or as i did i started my business at 60 and i had an ageist bias towards myself because my siblings were moving into semi-retirement you know and i'm the eldest what on earth am i doing establish a business at the age of 60. i should be i'm a grandmother i've got six grandchildren and i had to get over that bias thank goodness for my business coach who just kept telling me age is a number until i believed it that's right but it was an ageist bias that i had against myself how dumb is that
0: But it's, it's absolutely commonplace and normal. And here's the thing. Everybody turns around and says, you're right. They, they come out with this thing right away. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I hate that word. Racist. I hate that word bias. I can deal with better. It's more palatable to me to say bias, but, but, um, when I spoke to you and we've had lengthy conversations before I had you as my guest, we have to all admit that we are all biased towards something or about something. Okay. We all harbor bias, whatever that means all right and if we come from that spot we already have commonality okay i already know that there's bias i am a part of it you are a part of it and now maybe we can begin to talk because those old dark gentlemen that you talked about on the pacific island were probably looking at you with the same kind of bias
2: well yeah i'll just give you a plug. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'll give you a beautiful um, example. Um, I met with a group of pastors, um, Nauruan pastors on the island in the very early days um, because they were just concerned. They knew there were lots of Muslim men in the camp and Nauru is um, a very strongly Christian um, nation. And they were just concerned. One man said, I met one of the Muslim men, I shook hands with him and then he wiped my his hand across his shirt he interpreted that was that he was wiping the handshake off whereas those of us who understand muslims understand that it's a hand of the heart and so i thought it's just a simple misunderstanding how we've interpreted an action through what we would do what is normal for us
0: exactly and that starts wars those things start wars. There is no question. So when I, and and I come across this on a regular basis as a recovery coach, I come across people thinking that they're different and that their story is unique, like Dr. Pat had said, that their situation is unique, that they come from a totally different background and nobody understands them and nobody's going to get it. Okay. So so what I do and the work that I do probably is very similar to yours in the way that We talk about being open and willing, as I mentioned before, and we talk about where is our commonality? What do we have that's in common? right? So so maybe we have gender in common, okay? Maybe we have race in common. Maybe we have intelligence in common. Maybe we have, like Dr. Pat and I, the Bronx in common. But we've got something to hold on to. So, so how do we get around? How do we begin to bridge that gap and to start to eliminate some of the bias? Where do we go, Bron?
2: Yeah, look, I think, again, we come back to exactly what you said, finding the commonality of understanding that bias is simply part of the way we think. It's a human problem. It's something shared by all humanity, regardless of our age, our gender, weight, you know, skin colour, accent. So I think it's about coming back to us as human beings that, um, and I say this, I've got grandchildren ranging from 17 to four, my four-year-old granddaughter already has biases, which her parents have unintentionally taught her so it's about understanding that this is going to be part of humanity's way of thinking uh, and it, it will continue to be that so if we if we come together and see this is a human problem rather than my problem or your problem it's the human problem it's in a sense it's natural I often say it's like part of our psychological DNA but it has ramifications and effects that are not helpful, that are unpleasant and often deadly, and they're the things. So we have to understand what's happening beneath the surface so that we can effectively address the things that are happening above the surface that we can yeah. see.
1: Yeah. You know, I love that you said that. I was talking to a woman the other day um, in Narcotics Anonymous and uh, drug the drug aspect mm. of this, and she said to me, if you want to know about me, watch the series Euphoria. I'm the character Rue. Now, when somebody says that, you do have to understand who people are. So while we have something in common or we groups may have in common, maybe you're in overeaters. Maybe that's something you're watching yourself in there. What do you have in common? Well, you have in common, you are powerless over your addiction. You're powerless yeah. over that take, right? That's what you have in common. But understanding people is also what I hear you talking about because I binge watched that series and boy, it was one of the most gut wrenching things I've watched because oh, yeah. wow. it depicted what young people go through in the world today that did not exist 30 years ago. Mm. Did you, and in, in this is so important to talk about because even in a program, if you're not recognizing that people come from different walks of life, and what is true for me is not true for the 19-year-old today walking into a room that can literally text cocaine to his house or her house. This is a different world. So what you're talking Mm. about is we have to get to a place of understanding commonality, but we also have to understand how we're processing what we see in another person.
2: Absolutely yes. there's
0: no question. Don't you think, Bron?
2: Yeah, look, I uh, just it's that balance between commonality and difference. Um, you know, I said earlier that somewhere along the line I was taught that difference was a threat and I've now flipped that on its head to see that difference is an asset. So that's that's something that I did for myself. And I see that that's really important because it's it's important to understand our commonality as human beings that we all, um, and, you know, we all, I have not been addicted. I could be, and I know, I can look back in times in my life where there were triggers that I could have certainly slipped into alcoholism. So this is an issue that is common to humanity. We, we all have the um, capacity to move into addiction. But we are all different. We all have different reasons for moving into that space. We all um, we are all coming at our lives from a different perspective. And I loved what you said. Hello, I don't want to text cocaine to my house. And just the fact that you could like that blows my mind. Um, you know. So, but they but. They do, you know. My seventeen-year-old granddaughter is going to see the world extraordinarily different, In many, many different ways. To me.
0: Right? Yeah. We're almost we're almost out of time, so I want you to just spend the last couple of minutes. Number one, telling people where to find you, and number two, I need you to tell us about your third book, okay? Because I want to sure. know what is what's your water about. All right? So,
2: quick, on, okay. give it to Good. Us, okay? Okay. Okay. Find me at bronwilliams.com, email me at info at bronwilliams.com. Now, what's your water? When I first started to get obsessed with unconscious bias, I came across an old Chinese proverb that says, a fish is the last one to know what water is. And so that's the metaphor that I work from with bias, that just like a fish swims in water, breathes in water, but he's unaware of the water around it, we are unaware of our biases. And so this book, which will be released in February next year, is all about looking at um, our biases, how how they sit underneath the surface of things. I talk about the bias iceberg. I talk about the bias ladder. Where might you be? Somewhere between ignorance and innovation. And a whole lot more because I really want this to go into workplaces so that people can start working with bias for themselves.
0: Braun, you've taught us a great deal today. Braun Williams, info yeah. at braunwilliams.com. What's your water publication coming out in February of 2022? We have certainly learned a lot today, haven't we, Dr. Pat?
1: Yeah, and I would love to know from you, Braun. I'd love to know what your personal message is. I'd love to know what you'd like to leave us with today. I know we talked about a lot.
2: Yeah. Um, I think to have faith in yourself. Uh, because, hello, I'm 65. And I still struggle with that because I think I've grown up in a space where women didn't do what I am doing now. And so it's about having faith in ourselves. And I think you can apply that whether you're moving through recovery, moving into a new area. It's all about moving into something new. So have faith in yourself.
0: Fantastic. And we're, we're the, the three of us are in the same boat. We're right there with you, girl. Okay. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, thanking Braun Williams, thanking Dr. Pat today. Please join us again. Join me at pushybroadfromthebronx.com 1-800-889-1757. Have a great day and enjoy yourself. Take care. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with Certified Life and Recovery Coach Ellen Stewart, pushy broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery, let go of your secrets, and change the way you think, feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com.